Bibles and turn to Judges, the book of Judges, please, in chapter 10. Judges chapter 10 this afternoon. If you see me pull coffee cup out, I'm not drinking coffee while I'm preaching. It's tea. And then I'm trying to uh, coat my throat or something. I don't know. People are taking care of me. I appreciate that. It was so sweet. Penny walking up and offering me cough drops. And then Brother Girth with his little shot glass of water. <laughs> you do what you can. And uh, someone said to me, you should have some tea in the pulpit. And, and I was like, well, I guess I could do that. And so somebody made me some tea. And I'm going to sip it and drink it. I'm not drinking coffee, though. You'll understand, right? People are starting to make me feel good, like you actually care about me and love me. I know, I'm a martyr, right? But then there was this other kid, I was just, just when I'm starting to feel good, this other kid comes up to me and goes, hey pastor, why do you spike your hair? <laughs> I was like, I like it. He goes, maybe it's because you have a bald spot, and then he ran away. <laughs> I was like, you little brat, come back here. Like, just when, you, just when you're starting to feel good about things, the kids keep you humble. <laughs> so, there's that. <clears throat> anyway, you're welcome. Uh, Judges chapter 10, I'm going to read five verses, the first five verses of this chapter. If you haven't been with us, we've been working through the book of Judges, and uh, not verse by verse, what we've been doing is considering the lives of each of these judges and the entire book of Judges isn't filled with just all of those who were judges of Israel. There's a lot of other stuff in there. But we've been highlighting particularly each of the judges. And we find ourselves in chapter 10, in verse 1, And after Abimelech there arose to defend Israel Tola, the son of Pua, the son of Dodo. How would you like to have a name like that? And a man of Issachar, and he dwelt in Shamer in Mount Ephraim. And he judged Israel twenty and three years, and died, and was buried in Shamer. And after him rose Jair, a Gileadite, and judged Israel twenty and two years. And he had thirty sons that rode on thirty ass colts, and they had thirty cities, which are called uh, Havoth Jair unto this day, which are in the land of Gilead. And Jair died and was buried in Cameon. There's not a lot that's said here about these two judges. And so far in our study, uh, we have considered the ministries of Othniel, Ehud, uh, names that you recognize from even maybe childhood if you grew up in Christianity or learning Bible stories. We learned about Shamgar and Deborah and Gideon. Those are all that we have covered so far. And all of these, with the exception of Shamgar were judges who led the people of Israel to outstanding military victories. And in that list that I just mentioned, Shamgar is the only one uh, who was not uh, involved in a great military feat. And, and it actually, Shamgar is considered to be one of the minor judges. And there are six minor judges in all their Shamgar, which we read about in, in Judges th 3. And the two men in our text today that we're going to consider, Tola and Jair, 
And then there's Ibzan, Elon, and Abdon. Those are all the minor judges. And the reason they're called minor judges is only because they weren't great military leaders. There wasn't some major battle or victory that they won, like, say, Gideon, for example. However, they were men who helped maintain the peace in the nation of Israel. And they might not have had any major military exploits, at least that are recorded. They're still, nonetheless, they're no less important to the nation of Israel as judges uh, than the ones who were great military leaders. You understand what I'm saying? Even though their ministry, isn't, there's not a lot recorded about them, and even though there wasn't some major military battle or victory, they are no less important uh, to the plan of God and for judging in the nation of Israel. And I want us to study out these two judges today, and we're going to consider their ministries, and we're going to examine their lives, what's, at least what's recorded, even though the Bible has very little to say about these two. I think there's some great principles in here that we can pull out that can teach us some things. And I want us to learn this main truth. And the main truth or the thesis for the message is this. You don't have to be well known for your life to make a difference for the glory of God. And I want us to see that God delights in using little things or unknown servants to help his people, to glorify his name, to build his kingdom. And the application is going to be that God will and God can and God will use anybody's life if you simply make yourself available to him. And so I want us to consider these principles uh, from the lives of these two unknown men. And the title of the message is Unknown Men Who Make a Difference. Let's pray and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, I ask, Lord, that you would help us here again and Lord, meet with us. We thank you for your presence here today already and how you have used your word. Lord, it's been evident. And Lord, I pray that you'd teach us again and challenge us and encourage us through these principles for the glory of God in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing I want you to note here, or that we need to understand, uh, that we'll draw out is in verse 1. The Bible says, And after Abimelech there arose to defend Israel Tola. What we need to understand first of all, or, or consider first of all, is the mess that they inherited. And verse 1 brings to our attention and causes us to remember a man named Abimelech. Now, we didn't cover a lot about Abimelech because we're covering the judges. But Abimelech's story is tied to Gideon's. And back in chapter 9, if you'll go over to chapter 9, we find Abimelech as the focal point. In fact, in chapter 8 and verse 31, the Bible tells us that Abimelech was the son of Gideon by his concubine, uh, and his concubine that was in Shechem, she also bare him a son whose name he called Abimelech. And we considered at the end of the life of Gideon that Gideon had some compromises and Gideon had some failures. And those things uh, weren't, he, he wasn't an island unto himself. Those things continued on to have ramifications later on in, in, in the life of the nation of Israel and his own family. And we made those applications last time when we were considering Gideon. But Abimelech, his story is in chapter 9. And after the death of Gideon, Abimelech determined that he wanted 
to be ruler of Israel. And so he convinces his mother's people, the Shechemites, to support him in his quest to become the king of Israel. The men of Shechem conferred amongst themselves and so on. They decided that they would help Abimelech. And what they did was they gave him 70 pieces of silver. Look at chapter 9 in verse 4 and notice what it says. And they gave him three score and ten pieces of silver out of the house of Baalbereth. And by the way, when Gideon died, the people turned their back on God again. And they started worshiping idols. And this house of Baalbereth is their temple. And what they did was they gave him... 70 pieces of silver, wherewith Abimelech hired vain and light persons which followed him. And so the Bible tells us that he got this money, these 70 pieces of silver, and he used that money to hire what we might call some thugs or something like that to help him achieve his goal. Now look at verse 5 and see what happens. And he went unto his father's house in Ophrah, and slew his brethren, the sons of Jerobel, that's Gideon, being threescore and ten persons upon one stone, notwithstanding, yet Jotham, the youngest son of Jerobel, was left, for he hid himself. And so what we know about Abimelech is he took that money and hired those men. He went to his father's house and he kills 69 of his 70 half-brothers, and the youngest, a boy named Jotham, escapes. Now go to verse 6. And all the men of Shechem gathered together in all the house of Milo and went and made Abimelech king by the plain of the pillar that was in Shechem. So verse 6 tells us that the men of Shechem declare Abimelech to be their king. After his anointing, Abimelech rules in Israel, and he didn't rule very long, because by the time you get down to verse 22, notice this, verse 22 says, when Abimelech had reigned three years over Israel, then God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the men of Shechem, and the men of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech. Abimelech is anointed, he rules as king for three years, and the Bible says that God sent an evil spirit. And the very ones that helped him are the ones that turned their back on him. And in the end, the men of Shechem turned on Abimelech, and then there was war that was between them and the followers of Abimelech. You can read on that from verses 23 all the way down through verse 49. And there's a battle that takes place. And in the midst of that battle and that attack on the walls of of a place called Thebes or Thebes or something like that. Abimelech gets too close to the wall, and there's a woman who's on top of the wall who throws a piece of millstone down from the wall, and it hits Abimelech in the head. Look at verse 53. Skip all the way to verse 53. And a certain woman cast a piece of a millstone upon Abimelech's head and all, and all to break his skull. So he gets hit with this piece of millstone in the head, and it's going to kill him. And knowing that he's about to die, Abimelech com commands one of his men to kill him with a sword so that it wouldn't be said in the end that Abimelech was killed by a woman. Look at verse 54. Then he called hastily unto the young man, his armor bearer, and said unto him, Draw thy sword and slay me, that men say not of me, a woman slew him. And his young man thrust him through, and he died. By the time Abimelech is dead, 
the nation of Israel is left in tatters from civil war, from military upheaval, from their idolatry. The Bible tells us that as soon as Gideon died, the people turned their back on God and gave their worship to the Canaanite gods of fertility, Baal being the God. And as a result of all of these problems, the nation of Israel was a mess. That was the nation inherited by Tola and Jair. And I want to share a couple of principles with you right here in this instance. And so the Bible tells us in our text that when Abimelech died after him, there arose to defend Israel Tola. You see the mess that they inherited. And the principle that I want to draw out here is this, that God always has a remnant of his people. Israel, in Israel, things were bad. The nation was a mess. It was at war with itself. The majority of the people were worshiping idols. They turned their back on God. But in the midst of that, God still had a faithful man. A faithful man. The fact uh, that he loved God and that he was chosen of God and that he became a peacemaker and a stabilizer in the nation of Israel was not by accident. And you know, we could make application for today too that God still has a remnant of people today. You remember when Elijah was disappointed and he was in despair and even experiencing some depression and Elijah said, I'm the only one that loves God. I'm the only one that's left. You remember that? And God told him, no, I still have 7,000 that haven't bowed their knee. There was a remnant. Elijah was told of God that there were still faithful people. And I'm saying that God still has those today. We look at around the world today and we see a world full of immorality. It's increasing worse and worse. Rampant wickedness. You know that. It doesn't take much. You see the, the culture and the mindset of people is just degrading more and more and more. And the things that, that, you know, that, that should be common sense, the things that, uh, that, that, like human life, for example, that ought to be sacred, but it's not a thing even in our culture for the, for the mass murder of babies. It's, it's just you see the, the, the mindset just degrading more and more. That's what our world is like. But God still has faithful people who love Him, who want to serve Him, who are going to live for Him. And there are people, there are people who still pray for our country. There's still people who pray for others. There's still people who truly believe the Word of God, that the Bible is God's Word, and that's what we make our life or build our life on. There's still people who love the Lord's church that aren't compromising. And you know, it's sad in a day when, when people have, still have access to truth and even people become members of New Testament Baptist churches full of good doctrine, and yet you see them go off to the world. You see them leave. Listen, there are still people who love the Lord's church. They're not going to compromise. Yeah, right. We might not be the majority, but there are still people who want to give glory to God. Not in a way that we think is pleasing to God, but in a way that God says is pleasing to Him. God always has a remnant, even when things look really bad. And the second thought here is that serving God is not always easy, but it's always right. I bet it wasn't easy 
for Tola and Jair to stand in an evil day. It's not always easy, but it's always right. It probably was very difficult for each of these and as they were dealing with the problems that were left behind by Abimelech and as they would deal with the idolatry of the nation. It's not easy today to be in ministry, let me tell you. But they ministered anyway. And we can learn a lot from that. Because it's not always easy to walk in a straight path when everyone else around seems like they're looking for something new. It's right. And we can make a choice to live for God and follow the Word of God, even when everybody else seems to be going their own way or living for self. Listen, we, we can look around and we can see people doing this and people doing that and people going there when they once stood here. But it's not my job to look at them or compare myself amongst them. It's my job to look to Jesus Christ. It's my job to look to Him who ran the race before me, who's going to enable me to run the race faithfully myself. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. Here's what I'm talking about. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which just so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So we have a race that is set before us. It's ours. And how do we run that? Verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. That means it, he didn't, it didn't bother him. Despising the shame. It was, it was a, something that was of nothing to him. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. You've got a race. I've got a race set before me. My job is to run my race and look to Jesus and to consider him, lest I be wearied and faint in my race. Amen? Amen. My job is to be faithful. And serving the Lord isn't always easy, but it's always right. And praise the Lord that we can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth us. This was the mess that they inherited. Secondly, I want you to know the ministry that they performed. Go back to our text. These two men didn't lead in any great military campaign. They probably didn't command great armies. Maybe they didn't even leave some great legacy or spiritual achievement that is recorded at least. But what they did do and what they did accomplish deserves some considerations from us. And what they did challenges us today. Notice, after Abimelech, there arose to defend Israel, Tola, the son of Pua, the son of Dodo, a man of Issachar. And he dwelt in Shamer in Mount Ephraim, and he judged Israel twenty and three years and died. And then you look to Jair, the Bible says he judged 20 and 2 years, and he had these sons, and then the Bible says Jair died and was buried. Say, so, well, there's not a lot that's right there. But what is there is that between the two of these men, 
They ruled in Israel for nearly 50 years. They were faithful to their call, to their role for a long time. And what they did was they maintained peace in the nation of Israel for almost 50 years. Even though the nation was split apart by war and rebellion and pagan worship. Listen, maintaining peace in the middle of that is no small feat. When there were no attacks from the outside, so it seems. Because remember, in Gideon's day, there were attacks from the outside. Doesn't seem like there were any here that are recorded. There were no attacks from the outside. What they did was they helped prevent the nation from being ripped apart on the inside. Theirs was a ministry of peace in a time of turmoil. Can I say something to you today? We need peacemakers. We need peacemakers today. In the Lord's church, we need peacemakers. The attacks may not come from without. We might be protected from the attacks on the outside in the Lord's church, but we sure can be ripped apart on the inside. Blessed are the peacemakers. We ought not to be contributors to strife in the church, but we ought to be builders of peace in the church. Amen? There's another application because this applies to God's people out in this world too. Tola and Jair did in their day exactly what we ought to be doing in our day. You know what they were? They were acting like salt. That's what they were doing. They were acting like salt in their day. What does salt do? Well, Jesus said the people of God are the salt of the earth, right? And what does salt do? Salt's known for many things. It has many uses. In Bible times, let me tell you this. In Bible times, salt was as valuable as money. Did you know that? The ancient Romans, they used to give a soldier his pay in salt rather than money at times. The word salary in our English language, it comes from the Roman word salarium, which speaks of a soldier being paid in salt. You know the phrase, he's not worth his salt? You heard that phrase before? That's where that comes from. That's how they used to be paid sometimes. It comes from that practice. Salt was as valuable as money. When Jesus called his people the salt of the earth, he used it as a metaphor to teach us about the influence that God's people should have in the world today. What does salt do? Well, first of all, salt preserves, doesn't it? God's people are the salt of the earth. God's people ought to have a preserving influence in this world. What does salt do when it preserves? It wards off rot and decay. You rub some salt in a good piece of meat in an effort to preserve it. Amen? I think about our country and the condition that it's in. I think I'm convinced that the presence and the prayers of salty Christians has done more to preserve America than anything else that we could name. God's judgment on this nation and on this world is surely coming, though. I don't know why the Lord hasn't judged our nation already. But maybe it's because of the presence of salty Christians still. Salt also penetrates 
As a Christian, we also ought to have a penetrating influence in this world. Salt penetrates whatever it touches. Salt is an aggressive substance. We ought to be a penetrating substance with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? We ought to be an aggressive substance with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think of the church in Acts chapter 8. Turn over there. The church in Jerusalem and what the Bible says about them. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 1, the Bible says, And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time there was great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So this great persecution comes on the church in Jerusalem, and all the members of the church were scattered abroad. The apostles were the only ones that stayed in Jerusalem. But what happened when they were scattered abroad? Look down in verse 4. The Bible says, Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. It was the members of the church that went everywhere preaching the word. If you look in Acts chapter 17, in verse 6, Note this thought. The Bible says, And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. What are they talking about? These that have turned the world upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're here too. I believe that's what we've been called to do by the Lord Jesus Christ, to be an active force in the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's not the Lord's church being under attack and we're just holding the fort till Jesus comes. That's not what that means. We've got the gospel, the sword of the spirit, and we charge and we attack and the gates of hell can't stand the power of the gospel. That's what that means. We ought to have a penetrating influence. You know what? You ought to have a penetrating influence in your sphere of influence. People you work with, they ought to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. We all have unsafe family members. You ought to have a penetrating influence in their life with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to do, to be salt in this world. Salt also, for the sake of the outline, has a promoting influence. And what I mean by that is salt is something that creates thirst on the tongue. A thirst for water in those who are exposed to it. You know, as salt, the Christian life should be one that will create a thirst for Jesus Christ in the hearts of those around them. And when that happens, when there's a thirst... We can point men to Jesus Christ and we can share with them the water of life. Amen? Sadly, most Christians don't promote that thirst. All too often, there are Christian people who give opportunity for the world to mock and ridicule the Lord Jesus Christ. I think sometimes when the world looks at God's people, they say, Why should I receive Jesus Christ? I live just as good as you, or just as good as the crowd down at the church. 
Why would I want to do that or be a part of that? That's a sad statement, but I think sometimes it's right. And the point I'm making is we must never give anyone cause to say, if that's a Christian, then I don't want to be one. Instead, our lives ought to motivate people to say, what's different about you? I want what you have in my life. That's how our lives ought to be. That's the kind of influence we ought to have. That's how we ought to promote Jesus Christ. Is that what people would say about you? You're different than I used to know you. What is making you so different? How can you be joyful? What do you have in your life? I want to know what that is. Tola and Jair carried out a very important ministry in Israel. God used them to touch a nation. God used them to maintain peace. God used them for His glory. Listen, they, even though not a lot is said about them, they had a very successful ministry that God used them for. Thirdly, I want you to notice the message that they preached. Back in our text, the Bible doesn't say much about a message here, but the Bible does say that they defended Israel and they ruled and judged in Israel 20 and 3 years and then also 20 and 2 years. And my point in this is to say that even though they didn't lead armies, and even though it doesn't say they built cities, it doesn't say that they wrote all kinds of books or anything like that, but what they did was far more important. What they did was they stood for God in an evil day. Even though little is recorded about them, their message is still preaching to us today. And I want to show you a few lessons that we can learn from these unknown men. Some application. Here's the application point. First of all, the application is you don't have to be famous for your life to make a difference. Tola and Jr. aren't well known. There's not much that's said about them. But their lives certainly made a difference for thousands of people living in Israel. And the same is true for me and you. Some people think that they can't be used of God in a mighty way if they're not well known. Well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a this. I'm not a that. What do I have to offer God? Well, just remember that God has placed you exactly where He wants you. He's given you a sphere of influence that only you have. He knows where you are. And when He, listen, and God has an assignment for your life, regardless of what He's called you to do. If God wants something bigger out of you or even more well known, He'll come for you and He'll use you in a way that you could never imagine. Your duty is just to simply grow, to stay faithful, to keep doing the thing that He's told you to do until He tells you to do something different. You remember David? David was a shepherd boy. His job was to keep the sheep of his father. He did it faithfully. Moses, before he was called of God, he was with the flocks. You look at the apostles like Peter and Andrew, James and John. They were all fishermen with their nets. But the Lord called them and the Lord used them. My point is, you don't have to be a famous person, a well-known person for your life to make a difference. You might think, I just work a job. 
I don't really know a lot. I want to do as much as I can, but I don't just, I don't think I'm that valuable to the Lord. That's a lie that the devil will tell you to try to discourage you. You stay faithful with what you have right in your sphere of influence with the people that God has given you. Be a faithful witness. Be a faithful testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be faithful in the Lord's house. Live your life according to the Word of God, and your life does make a difference. Secondly, you don't have to accomplish great deeds to live an extraordinary life. These men didn't. It's not recorded that they did. They never did anything extraordinary like Gideon. But their lives still testify to us today because they're recorded in Scripture. Amen? Most of us are never going to be famous people. And most of us aren't going to accomplish anything great in the eyes of the world or by the world's standard. Even though you may not accomplish things that the world calls great, your life is still extraordinary. If you live for Jesus Christ... If you faithfully serve His church and His people, if you raise your family to honor the Lord and His Word, if you tell the lost about Jesus Christ, let me tell you something, your life is extraordinary. Moms, you have no idea the impact your life will make and could make in the lives of one of your kids. We don't know who God is going to raise up to call to preach. Maybe there's some little boys in here they're going to get saved, that God is going to raise up and God is going to call into the ministry. They'll do extraordinary things too. But your life had an impact in that before it ever happened. You understand what I'm saying? Don't minimize it. You don't have to accomplish great deeds to live an extraordinary life. Thirdly, God is honored by and He will honor a consistent life. Both of these men had consistent lives. They serve for over 20 years. They didn't accomplish anything that stands out, or at least it's not written for us. But if you look at the length of their ministry, it reveals that they were consistent men. And they stood for the Lord for many years. God honored their faithfulness. I think there are a few things that honor the Lord more than being just simply faithful to Him. What is it that we're looking forward to hearing when we stand before the Lord? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. God desires that every one of his children live a consistent life before him. And so let me encourage you, just keep living for the Lord, regardless of what's going on around you. Keep living for him. When times are lean, keep living for him. When it seems like other people are falling away. Keep being faithful to what you know is right, even, even when you're in a different environment, in a different situation. Stay faithful to what you know is right. Amen. Even when others will walk away, when people will make up things about you and hate you, they'll accuse you falsely. Jesus said, blessed are they who... If you've been accused falsely for the Lord's sake, blessed are you. Amen? At the end of life, what we want to hear is, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Consistent for the lo love for the Lord and faithfulness to Him is what is going to cause you to hear that. Jesus said those words, and those words 
listen, they ought to bring some compelling to my soul. Jesus said those words. And if he said it, I want to hear that from him. Anyway, I think I'll try to wrap some things up here. Some of you look really, really tired. Tola and Jair lived and died. And it seems like it was kind of in obscurity, even though the Bible records them. But see, that's what keeps them speaking to us today is because they're recorded in the Scriptures. They clearly had a walk with the Lord. Their lives were not in vain. And I would say to you this afternoon as we close, your life is not in vain either. You matter to the Lord. You matter to your family. You matter to this church. You matter to this community. God has placed us here to reach these people around us. Stay the course. Be faithful. The payday is coming someday. And one day when we stand before the Lord, we want to hear those words. Amen. We want our life to not be measured by the fact that all of our works were burned up because they were all wood, hay, and stubble. We want a life that matters, that's going to last, that is going to have gold, silver, and precious stones. And when the fire of God's judgment tries the works of our life, what we really want is to have something to give back to the Lord. It won't matter what you achieve in this life on a temporal plane. All that matters is your relationship with Jesus Christ, your love for Him, your labor for Him, and a life lived for Him. And so the question is, are you consistent in your walk? Are you faithful to the Lord? Our heart attitude should be something like this. Lord, it doesn't matter who knows me as long as they can see you in me. It doesn't matter where I am as long as you've placed me there. It doesn't matter what is happening to me as long as you control it. It doesn't matter to me what I accomplish in life as long as I accomplish everything that you've saved me for. That ought to be the attitude of our heart. Your life can make a difference. It does make a difference. Just stay faithful to the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these principles. They're simple, but they're very true. And sometimes we need some encouragement in the days that we live in. And if we have the right perspective, then it really doesn't matter what we accomplish in life as long as we accomplish all that the Lord has given us to do. And it really doesn't matter who knows us as long as people can see Christ in us. And it really doesn't matter what happens around us as long as the Lord is the one who controls it. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to have that kind of a surrendered heart in life and that kind of a consistent and faithful life. Lord, protect your people. May we never compromise. May we never lose sight of the reason and the purpose for why we exist. And Lord, may our lives be lived for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's